good morning, Real Life. Uh, my name is Justin Jordan. I'm the lead pastor here at Real Life Ministries, and we want to welcome you this morning. And as we are um, continuing our, or starting this new sermon series today, we're actually going to do something that we do quite often here at Real Life. We're going to be commissioning a new small group leader. And so as we get ready for the sermon, I want to invite Scott McMiniman up to the stage. We give Scott a big round of applause as he comes forward. And as Scott comes, you'll notice he's tall, <laughs> much taller than me. But uh, Scott has become a very good friend, close friend to me. And one of the things that you noticed on the, 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 the sermon bumper is there's a specific things that we believe in here at Real Life Ministries. We want to share Christ with the lost world. We want to connect people into real relationship. And we want to equip them to become ministers. And Scott has been led to start a new men's group in the evening on Tuesday evening at 6.30. Right, Scott? And so when it comes to that group, uh, we've got a men's group that meets on Wednesday morning. But some of y'all don't want to get up at 5 in the morning and come to men's group. So Scott said, I'll do a Tuesday evening men's group. And so we want to encourage you, if you're a man and you want to get connected in a real relationship with other men, Tuesday night here at the building, Scott's meeting with a group of men uh, and wanting to just connect a real relationship and wants to disciple you and wants to walk beside you. And so we're going to pray for Scott this morning, and I want to invite you to pray with me as we pray over him as he leads and loves men and, and disciples them and raises them up to maturity to become a disciple maker. And so if you want to just... Put your hand forward like we do when we commission our leaders. We'd love for you to join us in praying for Scott. Lord, we come before you and we thank you so much that there's another environment, another group where uh, men can get connected in a real relationship and can be matured into the, the maturity of you, Lord. Uh, we pray for Scott. We pray for his leadership. Pray, God, you keep him whole. Help him to stay focused on you and may he abide in relationship with you. And God, may you connect many men to him so that they can grow in likeness of Jesus. And as they grow together, God, may they be um, uh, raised to maturity to become a disciple maker, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would um, just grow that group, that we'd reach people far from you, and that we would see lives changed through Scott and his willingness to serve and to lay his life down for other guys. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for Scott. We pray you bless him in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you, Scott. Can we give it a round of applause one more time for him? So if you're new this morning, you might be saying, is that his normal voice? No, this is not my normal voice. I have the man cold, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and so yesterday, um, I'm actually doing way better today. I don't sound better. But yesterday I was like, man, like if I feel as bad as I do today, tomorrow, it's going to be really rough. But I'm feeling better. Um, I'm excited for this new sermon series because every single fall, we come back to the basics. We come back to who we are, what we're about, and where we're going as a church. And we need this. We need this as a reminder. We need to be able to align ourselves to the vision and mission of our church. And you saw and you've seen, what is the vision? We want to reach the world for Jesus 1% of the time. The question is, how do we do that? We've got to create biblical disciples in relational environments because that's what Jesus did. Jesus shared the kingdom with his disciples and by them into real relationship, equipped them, and then sent them out to become disciple makers. When it comes to the message today, there has to be a certain filter from which we got to read the text from this morning. And this is the closest thing that I can come up with on the proper filter. Um, I have three children, my oldest, my middle child. When it comes to going out in public, 
going to different places, whether it's the store, whether it's a restaurant, or whether it's the park. My first and my second were easy to keep tabs on. I don't think I ever, ever panicked about losing my first or my second born. And then Theo, my third born, was born. This kid cannot sit still for two minutes. We were at Market Street last week having lunch. I had to tell him four times, stay in your chair. This is your last warning before pain will be induced into your life, my friend. I don't know how many times as I've been raising Theo, he is now six, soon to be seven. I don't know how many times I've been at the park and thought to myself, where's Theo? Where is he? And literally had panic go over my head and my heart that I may have lost my son. Does anybody else have a kid, a son or a daughter that that was the case? I don't know how many times I've had the mom panic. Do you know what the mom panic is? It's when you hear the <gasps> from the mom. I never like did that out loud, but I felt that. And always I would run over to the playground where I last seen him. And sure enough, he'd be tucked right around the corner where you couldn't see him. And then I'd be like, okay, he's okay. He's all right. But in that moment, if I wouldn't have found him, I would have shut the park down. I know that I wouldn't have been able to run very far, but I would have done everything I can to run around and try and figure out where is Theo with urgency, urgency to find my son. That urgency that maybe you have felt, whether it's something very valuable or whether it's your child, that urgency is where we need to enter into the text this morning. If you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Luke chapter 5. If not, we've got the passages up on the screen. And I guess the old iPhone will do as well. Luke chapter 5, it says that one day Jesus was teaching... And Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Now, when, when we talk about the Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, this is a large area. We're talking like the size of the Treasure Valley from Ontario to Mountain Home. Huge swath of land. They said they've come from everywhere. Huge crowd. We're talking like Easter crowd. You know what I'm talking about in church? Easter crowd, like full, lots of people. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way, underline that, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they gave up. Doesn't say that. They went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. First thing I want you to notice. These men had an obstacle in front of them, right? Huge crowd, we can't get to Jesus. But they don't allow the obstacle to dictate what they were meant to go and do, which they were meant to go and bring their friend to Jesus, to bring their friend to Jesus, to heal him. And they didn't line up and go, 
too difficult today. We're going to go home. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. Instead, they had an attitude, a mindset, that we can get him to Jesus. We can do it. We've got to figure out how to get him to Jesus. Now, I want to just tell you, a lot of times with my friends that are followers of Jesus, that mindset is nowhere to be found, or it's found very rarely. Because oftentimes, when it comes to me being a pastor, encouraging Christians, encouraging other disciples of Jesus to share Jesus with your friends, with your family, or bring people to, to, to just come and say, come and invite them to church. The mindset is not we can. The first response is all the obstacles. All the obstacles. Well, I just don't know if they're ready for that. Well, I don't know what they will think if I invite them. I don't know what will happen if I share. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. For these men, they saw the obstacles and they said, we can. We can figure it out. We've got to take a next step. We've got to figure out how to get our friend to Jesus. And so I want to ask you this morning, when it comes to looking at your life, do you have an I can, we can mindset of sharing with our friends, sharing with your friends, your family members, ways to introduce them to Jesus? Do you have an I can mindset or do you have a, here's all the obstacles why I can't? Because these guys... They're figuring it out. They have a mindset of, we will do whatever it takes. I want you to write that down. We will do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. In fact, let's say that this morning. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Now, don't hear me say be creepy. Do you know the creepy Christians? The ones that just like don't have any self-awareness. They plow right through. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being wise as a serpent, innocent and a dove. I'm talking about the Christian that in everything that they do, when the obstacle comes up, you go, you know what? That's an obstacle. How can I be intentional? How can I love? How can I share truth? How can I continue to fight for the relationship, doing whatever it takes to bring them to the life-saving knowledge of who Jesus is? Am I making sense this morning? Whatever it takes. Just don't be creepy. Okay? Whatever it takes. Do not allow fear and insecurity to drive you. And I just want you to think about this for a second. When you have that mindset that you're going to do whatever it takes, we start being intentional about removing obstacles. It's going to get messy. Can you imagine? They climbed up on the roof. It says, verse, verse uh, 19, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd. Can you imagine the crowd, the house is so full that Jesus is in the house and there's a crowd out in the street and they're ripping apart the roof. Can you imagine sitting at home group and you're having a great discussion and then all of a sudden you're like, is that drywall dust? Well, I mean, what is going on? Right? What is that banging going on up on the roof? What is, what is happening up there? Do you have rats in your roof? Like what is happening right now? No, there's just some guy ripping apart my roof. And you imagine the chaos, the uncertainty, 
that would have ensued. And here's the thing. Symbolically, when it comes to entering into a relationship with people and sharing the gospel, sharing Christ with people, it's going to get messy when we do that. It's going to move us out of our comfort zone. And guess what? That's okay. Because we don't exist for anything except for the glory of Jesus and his kingdom. Are you with me this morning, church? That's why we're here. On a side note, because this kind of fits into next week's sermon a little bit better, but on a side note, let me ask you this question. We're looking at the filter of these friends who are bringing their paralyzed man to Jesus. We're looking through that filter mainly today, but I want to ask you this question. Do you have friends like the paralyzed man in your life? Do you have friends like the paralyzed man has? Do you have friends that are in your life that they will do whatever it takes to bring you to the truth and love of Jesus? Do you have those type of friends? And if you don't, I just want to encourage you. There's an amazing thing called home groups, small groups at Life Ministries, where we're trying to create those types of environments. We're trying to create real relationships with people that will drag you to Jesus and try and connect you to him. Do you have those types of relationships? Men, do you have those types of relationships? Or do you just have that one, one best friend and that's it? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Women, do you have those types of relationships? There's something to think about. So they take Jesus or take their friend up to the roof, start tearing the roof apart, and they lower him down right in front of Jesus. Verse 20. This is my favorite line in the whole story. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now I want you to notice, it's Jesus who says, friend, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. But what is their faith? Here's what I would think that their faith is. They believed that Jesus could heal them and they were gonna do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. But here's the thing. It didn't mean just believing, it meant taking action. It didn't mean believing, it meant taking action. And James talks about this. James talks, says, listen, you tell me you have faith, I have deeds, show me your faith without deeds. He says, essentially, without deeds, Faith is dead. What does that mean? Faith in action. Faith in action. It means if you really truly believe that Jesus can heal this man, you're going to actually do whatever it takes to get him there. And they do. And Jesus says, because of that, because of your faith, I'm not only going to heal him, I'm going to forgive sin. Jesus honors the, the faith of those who do, do whatever it takes in bringing people to him. Jesus honors that. And he honors it over and over and over again. We see in the Gospels where Jesus goes and he equips his disciples. He sends them out. They do miracles. Why? Because he's honoring their faith. He's honoring the willingness to step out and to take action. Jesus does this over and over and over again through the Gospels and then throughout the Acts, the work of the church being lived out after Jesus died and resurrected. Now, let me just say this. If you live this way, that you do whatever it takes to bring your friends to Jesus, there's always going to be a group of people that are going to cause trouble. Usually they're religious people. And that's what happens in verse 21. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves. I want you to notice that. It says, began thinking to themselves. 
Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Second favorite passage in this story, verse 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? So they don't even say it. They're just thinking because Jesus is the son of God. He knows what they're thinking and he calls it out. That's awkward, right? Like that would be a cue. You'd be like, how'd that guy read my thoughts? Maybe he's the son of God. Hello, right? But they don't respond that way. They just double down. Makes you kind of wonder, like, what would you do back then? If you knew that Jesus could read your thoughts, what would you do? Be singing Amazing Grace the whole time? Like, what would you be doing? Like, like he can read my thoughts. He calls it out. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk but I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What is Jesus saying? I think, he's, I think he's making a statement to these people in a powerful, powerful way. What he's saying is, the easy thing for me to do is just to heal them. I could just heal them. But I'm gonna choose the harder thing. I'm not only gonna heal him, I'm gonna tell him that he can actually, his sins can be forgiven. Why is that more difficult? Here's why it's more difficult. Because Jesus came here on earth and in order for him to be able to forgive sins yes he has the authority to do that but he also had to back that authority up how do you do that he lived a perfect life didn't he he lived a perfect life didn't he and then not only did he live a perfect life but he was tested in every way that we've been tested he was tested and he still lived a perfect life and then he sat in the garden of Gethsemane. You guys remember this, right? He sat in the garden of Gethsemane and he cried out to his father and he said, Father, if there's another way for me to redeem the whole world, if there's another way for you to bring everybody back to me, there's another way. Can we do that plan? Because Jesus is looking at the cross. He's not just looking at the cross. Do you remember when he went to Pontius Pilate? And after he, he was found guilty, he just didn't go to the cross then. He then and, and what happened to him after that? What happened after that? He was what? He was flogged. Beaten. To the inch of his life. And he was put on a cross. And as he's st- sitting up on the cross, and he's about ready to die, he, he says two things that are super powerful. Number one, he says, Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And the last thing that he said before he died is, it is. The easy thing would have been just to heal him. He just didn't heal him. He forgave him. He forgave him. And why? Jesus always chooses the harder path He always chooses the most difficult path. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. He loves his children. He loves his sons. He loves his daughters. And he always chooses the harder path, not just to heal, but also to forgive sin. And he backed it up over and over and over again. Not just when it was easy, 
But it, when it was difficult, Lord, if there's another way, if there's another way. But if not, just like we sang on that first song after announcements, if there's no other way, your will be done. Not mine. Not mine. Verse 24, so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been laying on, and went home, praising God. Everybody say praising God this morning. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I want to remind you that this story started because there was a group of people that had the mindset, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get my friend, our friend to Jesus. If we have to rip off a dude's roof, we're going to rip off the roof to get him to Jesus. And here's the thing, I believe this, is that Jesus, he wants you, he wants us still to this day to deepen our faith by being a people that will share our faith with others that will have a mindset that will do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. The same is true today as it was from 2,000 years ago. Now here's the thing. That can look a lot of different ways and a lot of different stages in sharing your faith with others. We've, we've used lots of different tools in our church over the years to help you understand what that may look like. We've used the BLESS acronym where the first one is this, would you just be willing to start praying for people? We started that last week in our church as we celebrate 14 years. I just ask the question, would you be willing to pray for people that you know don't know Jesus? Would you be willing to start praying for them? Because here's the thing, when you start praying for people, it changes your heart, it changes your lens, and it changes if your heart is open to actually being intentional. To saying, I'm not just gonna believe, I'm gonna actually take action. Would you be willing to start praying for people? People that are close to you your family, your friends, your neighbors? Would you be willing to start listening to people in a deeper way? Here's another one. Would you be willing just to eat with people, invite them over and have dinner with them? Simple thing. Would you be willing to serve them? Would you be willing to walk beside them and serve them in some capacity, listening to them, listening to what's going on? Would you be willing to potentially share a burden with them? Would you be able to walk beside them? Whatever it is that they're facing, help them carry that burden. Would you be willing to have coffee with someone? And maybe you're like, I've had 12 cups of coffee. Would you have another one? Have another one. Now let me tell you how this plays out. Doing, having a mindset of whatever it takes sometimes takes years. Years of praying. Years of intentionality. Years of playing your part. Because the reality is we can only do our part. God's doing his part. That other person has to do their part. Let me just tell you one story of what I'm trying to do in my neighborhood. So the other night we came back from staff dinner. Our staff, we get together once a month and have dinner. Build a relationship. Joe made some amazing food. I was sick full. We're driving home. And as we're driving home, there are four cop cars on my street, which is a rarity in Cuna, Idaho. And so I'm like, what's going on here? Well, as I keep driving down the street, right next door to my house, all my neighbors are out on the corner, pitch dark, 9, 9, 9.30 at night, and they're all huddled together. And I'm rolling down the window. I'm like, what'd you guys do tonight? <laughs> like, we didn't do anything. 
But they said, um, you know, two door, two, three doors down, there was someone in that house that was locked down, and the cops came and surrounded SWAT team, and they were telling, you know, the person, like, come out or you're going to get shot type thing through a megaphone. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah. I'm like, man, missed all the good stuff, I guess. I'm like, yeah, I guess he eventually came out, and they arrested him, and we're just kind of waiting. I'm like, okay. Well, the house that they described, I know who that person is that lives there. And so for about 24 hours, I couldn't stop thinking about him. And there's a group of people that live in that house, but I knew who the owner was. And it's like, man, this is awkward, right? Like I have a relationship with him. I've been trying to meet with him. Uh, we've done a meal train for him as a church. He's just a new father. Like, what's going on? Trying to minister him, the embarrassment, the shame, all these things that he might be experiencing. Should I reach out to him? Should I not? Because if I reach out to him, then it's going to maybe be more embarrassing to him. But I finally was like, you know what? This might be an opportunity. Are you with me? So I text him the next morning. I said, hey, man. Um, heard what happened. Don't know the details. But I just want to let you know, I'm here for you. If you ever want to have a cup of coffee, if you ever want to connect, like, I'm here. He texted me back right away. He was like, uh, you're talking about what happened last night? That wasn't at my house. It was next door. I was like, oh. <laughs> I was relieved. I was like, oh, that's so good. Sorry for the other person who I haven't met yet. They just moved in. But he texted me back and he said, I need to have coffee with you. Finally, I need to get that done. I said, okay. It's been about three, four years of me building a relationship with him. Lots of conversation, lots of invites to home group, lots of invites to church. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe he's watching online right now, but intentional, doing whatever it takes, even if it means texting him after an awkward situation that thankfully wasn't in his home. Whatever it takes. I want to show you a video this morning, and for those of you guys that are watching online, you will not be able to watch it because of copyright, which means it will shut down our whole live stream. But I want you to listen to this video, and I've shown it years ago in our church, and I think it's important for us to see it again. It's a video of Penn Gillette, if you're familiar with him, he was a magician with uh, Penn and Teller is what they called it. And he is an atheist. And he talks about his experience about how another Christian walked beside him and had a conversation with him. And I want you to listen to his logic and his mindset about what it means to be a Christian and to share your faith with those that don't believe. Let's take a look. Something to think about, huh? How much do we... Love our neighbor. And if we're willing to love our neighbor, we'll do whatever it takes. And what if we lived our life like these people loved their friend, that they did whatever it took to get them to Jesus, to get them to Jesus? What would happen if we lived that way? What if we lived in such a way where it kept us up at night 
when we thought about how could we be intentional? And for some of you, that is where you're at this morning. For some of you, your sons and your daughters and where they're at, it does keep you up at night. And maybe you feel like you've done everything that you can. Maybe you're praying. Maybe there's somebody else that can maybe break through to my son or my daughter. I want to tell you, there are a whole lot of people here in real life that are willing to raise their hand and say, let me build a relationship with your son or your daughter. Because I've heard that story over and over and over again at this church. And for those of you that are carrying the banner and saying, we can bring people to Jesus, we can do this, I want to tell you, there are moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles that are saying thank you, thank you, thank you for having a do-whatever-it-takes attitude. One of the things you need to know about the elders and staff here at Real Life Ministries is we will never be satisfied with full living rooms. We'll never be satisfied with full auditoriums. We're always gonna ask the question, what do we have to do next to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time, amen? And if that means we've gotta get uncomfortable again, we're gonna do that. And so what would it look like for us to live this way? I wrote this down this week. And I want you to maybe consider praying with me. We've had 252 people come to know Jesus and get baptized in our church in the last 14 years. That's 18 people a year. What if we started praying for 252 baptisms a year? Two hundred fifty-two baptisms a year. What if we started believing that we can share the gospel? We were talking together as a staff a couple weeks ago about Easter already. Already praying and thinking about Easter. And every year we say, "Hey, bring your family, bring your friends." And I love what Joe said. He said, "What if we asked our people?" Yeah, bring your family, your friends, but bring someone you're going to baptize on Easter. And I love that. What if we started praying now? What if we started praying now? As we wrap up today, a couple things to think about, take home. Jesus honors the faith of those that have a whatever-it-takes mindset for the mission. And Jesus chooses the hard path for us. We must choose the hard path for the sake of others. Jesus did. He did it for you and me. What if we did the same for others? Your faith will deepen when you choose to share your faith. We will remove any obstacle short of sin to reach people with the gospel. And I know we've been saying it a lot, talking about it a lot, but I just go back to why did we go to Oktoberfest? We're going to remove every obstacle. Handing out free water. Why? Unless it's sin. It's in play for us to go and do. Churches shouldn't be at Oktoberfest. Why not? That's where Jesus would be. So let's go. For communion this week, I've got some specific things that I want you to pray for, very similar to last week. 
Would you pray for one family friend who doesn't know Jesus? Pray for one family friend who doesn't have a church family and ask Jesus for clarity on what next step Jesus wants you to take this week with your friend, family member. And I don't know if you've noticed in your sermon notes this week, there is a large section of blank space. And I want to encourage you, maybe during communion, you're like, I don't know who to pray for. Start writing names down. And when the Spirit of God says that one, pray specifically for that one. Or maybe you pray for all of them. But as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper and Steffi comes forward and you didn't, maybe you think you want to take the supper or maybe you forgot to grab the elements. If you want to take communion this morning, just raise your hand. Diane and Steffi will be sure to take care of you and get you the elements. I want to invite you just to pray and to start praying. Who is your one? And what does it look like to engage with them intentionally? Let's spend some time praying.